Hello, world. You're listening to the Cash All Podcast. Technology integrates with every aspect of our lives. Computing, entertainment, gaming, education, and much more. Here to discuss all of it is your host, Brandon Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Cash All Podcast. This week, I'm talking about games and storytelling and how it's changed over time. I got to thinking about this because last week was the 2021 Game Awards. I didn't follow it very closely this year. I don't know if any of you do uh, religiously each year. I tend to follow it a little more closely when there's a game that I'm more invested in and I've spent some time playing. Uh, 2021, not a ton of great games in my opinion. Some really good ones, don't get me wrong. There's things worth playing. But nothing outstanding. Think back to a a little, not too incredibly long ago, where we had Red Dead Redemption 2 and the new God of War game. And we had uh, the new Spider-Man game on, on PS4. That was kind of an epic battle of which of those games is going to get the Game of the Year award. This year, it just didn't have quite the the titles as it normally does I believe it takes two one game of the year and I haven't played it but I've heard a lot of good things about it and how it was kind of a nice surprise for people who got it some were stories about like a parent playing it with their kid or some siblings that played it together and and it really surprised a lot of people I think so I may have to check that out after seeing that it got Game of the year, you know, that's worth checking out to me. I usually will check best narrative because I like storytelling in all forms, whether it's creating videos or graphic designs or designing a game or just simply telling stories. And I was curious to see what it would be. And I wasn't surprised. Uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy won the best narrative. And I I really agree with that. I did play Guardians of the Galaxy. I was a little leery after, you know, how not good uh, the Marvel's Avengers game was. And Guardians of the Galaxy was very cool to me. I really enjoyed the game. I'm still working through the New Game Plus part of it. I've made it through through the regular mode and enjoyed it a lot. I love the mechanics. Uh, I know there was some criticism about how you can't be all of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I really enjoyed the story being told through Star-Lord. And I thought it was a cool way for you to be Star-Lord and to give orders to your team and try to orchestrate your attacks to, to defeat enemies and that type of thing. I thought that was really cool, and I thought it, I thought it played well. The soundtrack to it was great, as you would expect with anything associated with Guardians of the Galaxy. The visuals, I thought, were really well done also. And ultimately, though, I I really loved the story. It was engaging to me. It doesn't just follow the MCU, you know, religiously or just the comics. There's, you know, kind of some different things happening. And I really enjoyed the take on on the story of Star-Lord and and the Guardians of the Galaxy as they come together. I thought it was a great story. 
storytelling in games, most games these days, is actually pretty immersive if you think about it. Even if the if the game doesn't have a great story, you're still experiencing the story. And a lot of this is because of the technology available. There's, you know, more of a ceiling of things that you can do to make interesting games. The graphics are better. You can tell what you're looking at. There's cutscenes of cinema quality. And it becomes quite immersive and easy to get wrapped up into it. Uh, some games, well, a lot of games, have it to where your choice actually changes how the story unfolds. That was not always the case. If we look back at older games, even if you go back to the Nintendo Entertainment System, which I make a lot of references to in this podcast because that you know, was the, the console of my young childhood, But in the early days of the Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, with Final Fantasy, pretty basic plot. And that was a role-playing game. You would expect there to be this elaborate story, but it was just limited on what they could do. You went on quests and go on missions, those type of things, as you work your way through the story. But it wasn't anything groundbreaking. But even if you go back further than Nintendo to the Atari 2600... Uh, There were not really any story elements in the games themselves. If you watch somebody play, I don't know, probably 90% of the Atari games that were ever made, you have no idea what is going on. It makes no sense at all. Between the crude graphics and and that, you just, you can't really tell. And and that was all because of what was available to them technology-wise. It was early age into gaming. People were just developing the concept of finding something that is, as they say, easy to learn but difficult to master. And stories and all these other type of aspects were not necessarily in the forefront of their mind at that time. But it's awfully fun to look back at at those early Atari 2600 games. The... Even though the story wasn't included in the game as you're playing it, the stories are told in the instruction manuals, in the advertisements on commercials or in uh, magazines where where they would have an advertisement, maybe a little blurb on what the story of the character is about, and especially on the game art, on on the art on the cartridge and the art on the box. It was phenomenal during the Atari 2600 era. One of my favorite games to play, I didn't actually have this game. My uncle had this game. And it was called Mega Mania. And if you look at Mega Mania, it's an arcade shooter. You know, kind of similar to uh, Space Invaders, but you have different things coming, coming down, like sandwiches and onion rings and all kinds of different random things. And it doesn't make any sense while you're playing it. All you're trying to do is move your ship back and forth and trying to shoot those objects before they shoot you or before the sprite of the object collides with your ship. And you're trying to get a high score. But it actually has a story behind it. And it's about this person who's in the future and is a part of some space defense group. 
And after a long day of patrolling or whatever, this person goes to their local hangout place, wherever future space people hang out, arcades and restaurants, apparently. And he eats all this junk food, onion rings, burgers, all these things that appear later in the game, and then goes home after eating all this junk and then falls asleep and then is having this nightmare that on his patrol, instead of fighting alien ships or enemy races from other worlds, you know, um, he's fighting these hamburgers and these food items that he consumed during it. Kind of creative. Uh, and it also kind of a side note in Mega Mania, you could, if you got a high score, if you got the high score, you could take a picture of it with your camera, mail in the screenshot to the company and they'd send you a patch uh, that said you were like one of the highest. That's got to be an earliest form of achievements right and and you get some game swag that's pretty cool i'd be curious to know how many people achieve that from Mega Mania, and how many still have that little patch that'd be cool to see but Mega Mania was a fun game and it's an interesting story behind the game that you wouldn't see because you just they didn't have the technology to incorporate all of that into the game as you're playing it another good example is adventure and we talked about adventure before uh, in here when we're when we're talking about you know role playing games things like that. But adventure, you look at the game and it's a little square. You can tell what the key is, and you're looking at the game. What are these little little uh, seahorses that are chasing me around? I can't really tell. But adventure, it's you know you're a hero. And there was an evil magician that stole this chalice from your golden castle kingdom and put it into the into the magician's castle, which was all black. And your job is just to go and retrieve that chalice back. You have to go and, and it turns out these seahorses are not seahorses, if you read the instruction manual. They're they're dragons. Your goal Grundle and Rindle. So the first letter of their name corresponding with the color or whatever of what those dragons are. And you defeat them. You try to get the keys and go through mazes. And you get to the end. If we look at that game now, it you know, it, it seems kind of lame. But at the time, where that's the first like kind of visual experience of an adventure game and you're not just reading text after text, that was a huge step in in the right direction and what would eventually launch a whole bunch of great games in the adventure-type game genre. So Adventure, a great example. Yars Revenge is another game I enjoyed playing. Uh, it looks like you're just this fly. I couldn't tell if it was a fly. And when the enemy was in its normal state, that triangle shape, it kind of looked like a fly swatter to me. I didn't know if it was this fly swatter that would then spin around and try to commit the fly. It made no sense. But Yars Revenge, you you learn to find more about it through the literature and everything, that it's a insectoid spaceship called Yar, and that spinning thing is called the Quotile, something like that. And it's this ongoing battle in space between 
uh, the, these ships that are menacing each other. Another example of a game, and this would be, you know, all the, I guess adventure obviously is more of a fantasy type game, but you look at Mega Mania, you look at Yars Revenge, you look at Atari like Defender. A lot of them were were sci-fi and with spaceships. And a game called Joust kind of went in a different direction. You look at Joust, especially for the Atari, you might not really know what the heck's going on playing that game unless you played it at the arcade. But Joust, uh, they're knights that are riding these birds. And the person who came up with the idea for it got tired of all the games about spaceships and and all the sci-fi and everything and wanted to go back towards more of a fantasy-inspired game and looked up and just researched about different types of mythology and thought that heroes should be riding majestic birds. And for whatever reason, the majestic bird became an ostrich if you were player one and then player two to make it look different than player one so you could tell the difference. Player two was a stork. But these knights are on the ostrich or stork and you're attacking these other enemy birds and trying to take them out. You, We probably wouldn't have Super Smash Brothers or tower fall or those those type of duck game um we wouldn't have any of those if it if it wasn't for joust probably kind of the first game of that nature i guess that in in my opinion anyway others may disagree but that's what i think and uh it is a it's a it's a crazy game but very addictive and very fun to play for multiple players try to go through all of the stages and if you ever want to see probably one of the weirdest commercials you've ever seen, go to YouTube and look at the Joust commercial. And as you start watching that, you find that you've asked yourself, how could this get any weirder? You ask yourself that way all the way through until the end. And then it, it just ends after that. But it increasingly gets more different. Uh, the Atari 2600 commercials hit a little bit different different than the advertisements we see for games today um there's a book called i got this book a year ago almost exactly a year ago i got it last year at christmas i got it for my sister and it is one of the awesomest books that i that i have it's in my office it's it's next to my other books about graphic design and and just things that I kind of use for to get inspiration from for projects to look at and everything. And uh, when I opened this book, I, I freaked out. Or when I opened the package, I freaked out because I was so excited about it. But uh, this book is called Art of Atari. And it's by Tim Lepitino. I'm hoping I'm saying his last name correct. And he just documents this whole all of the art of Atari from in the game art to the advertisements to the box art to uh, the cartridge art to the how they did the instruction manuals. Very interesting. And, you know, it's really a touch of nostalgia as you go through that book and you see how they did that. And to see the time and the effort that they took into putting those you know, the art for the for the cartridge and the, and the instructions and everything together. It's really quite amazing. 
And it makes sense if you think about it because, you know, games today, you can just take a screenshot and you can put that screenshot on the cover, you know, and it looks exactly like the hero. It looks just like real life. If they did that during the Atari 2600 time, people are not going to buy a lot of those games. You need something captivating, something that looks amazing when you're looking at at this box to entice you to want to purchase it. I bought a game one time called, and it was like during the crash of Atari, you know, you could go and get games for like $2, and it was it was called Sea Hunt, I believe. I think it was called Sea Hunt. And bought it based entirely on the on the box art of it, and it looked really cool. And then when I took it home, it did not look cool at all. I didn't. It was not that good of a game. Probably not even worth the two dollars. <laughs> but um, you know that was a good tactic for them. And not only did it help to sell the game, but I like to think that they used that as a way to kind of tell the story. Because you had to, as the gamer, you're playing the game, but you had to use your imagination a little more to think like, yeah, that is what that is supposed to represent in the game. This is what it what it looks like. So that's kind of a kind of a cool point with all the with the art for that. The Art of Atari book also has a foreword written by Ernest Klein, as many of you know, wrote the book Ready Player One. I was thumbing through that book a little bit ago before I recorded this just, you know, because it makes me happy when I look through it. And the game, like one of the games that there was a picture of when I was thumbing through it was the game of football for Atari. And you look at that amazing artwork and you compare that to like what Madden does right now. And Madden, it, it, they're, Cart, it's not game art anymore because so much of it is sold digitally. But, you know, that art is for Madden. It's like they just learn how to use the crop tool and they just copy and paste little squares and put it on there. And I don't think it's really good. I don't think it's imaginative. And if you compare Atari 2600 football versus current Madden um, box art, you know, to me, the Atari, it doesn't compare. Atari's art was so much better and does a better job, I believe, of of captivating. I wish that they would go back to that and uh, do something like that to, you know, make it a little more meaningful in there. In my graphic design class, we don't get to do this all the time. But when, you know, there's a couple times where a term will be a little bit longer than the other and we have a few more days. We've a few times done the old remix of taking an idea of a modern game. We've looked at the artwork for that that they use in the download store or if you purchase it physically at the store, you know what the box art would look like or the packaging. And we remix it to what it would look like if it was made by the Atari 2600. So the last one that I had done was, it was um, last school year and towards the end of the year and I I done one for Miles Morales the the game and made it look like it was an Atari game and and kind of put that different work with it. If any of you ever teach digital media, that's kind of a fun thing to do, you know, take something that's modern. What would it have looked like a long time ago? And other times we've done it too where we have 
taken something older and made it look modern uh, just to kind of compare and contrast between the styles. So one year we took a Tecmo Super Bowl and we turned it into a Madden and made it have the modern Madden art and one of the players from 1991 NFL uh, we put on there with it and, and tried to make it look more modern. So if any of you are educators and you and you love video game art and you're looking for fun ways to kind of build it into your into your curriculum a little bit, that's always kind of a fun activity where you can compare and contrast uh, marketing and advertising and, and art for products between now and years past and then try to take one and make it look like it was today or take one from today and make it look like it was then. Something to try anyway. And if you do have your students work on that, you know, share share that stuff with us. And if any of those students are willing to to post those results online or anything, it'd, it'd be fun to see different uh, people's takes on that. Well, that's about all I have for today. I just wanted to kind of talk about how storytelling has changed a little bit in gaming and in how it's different now from before. And, you know, that's not obviously a bad thing. The game qualities and everything are much more better now. And so they don't put as much time in some of, in some of the outside. You don't really get the instruction manuals, things of that nature today, as you did back then. But it's kind of interesting to look at and see how that's evolved over time and, and to reminisce and to wonder what would happen if they took a little more time and, and developed those art, had an art department that just worked on the advertising for the game a little more. I think it'd be cool to see. Curious to know what your thoughts are. I know we're getting real close to the holidays. I hope everyone's doing well, making it through, getting their shopping list taken care of, getting their cookies made and decorated. And uh, thanks a bunch for listening. And I hope you all have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you like what you heard. For other content, you can follow me on Twitter at Code Peterson.